Now I'm more of a, I'm going to hold you accountable, but I'm going to hear you out too. And I'm going to let you know it is okay to have feelings. It is okay to be vulnerable. It doesn't matter what the Marine Corps says. At the end of the day, we're all human first. We all bleed the same blood. We all wear the same cloth. You know, we're going to hang up the uniform one day. So it's okay for you to talk to me. It is okay for you to be sensitive. Hello, this is Tab Bartley, and you are listening to the Oath We Took podcast, the show that tells the Marine Corps story through the Marines that served. I'm joined today by Jaysa. She is the reason for this podcast. I know so many amazing Marines who hesitate to tell their stories. Their stories hold so much power and so many life lessons. Oftentimes, though, they go untold. Not every Marine's story is the same. What is the same is the oath that we all took. I'm honored today to have Jaysa on to share a piece of her story. Her story is a story of true perseverance. In today's episode, we discuss her journey through healing through trauma, finding her way as a first-time parent, and what she is doing now to make sure that other Marines don't face those same challenges and struggles that she did. I'm truly amazed by her strength, but even more how she is making change happen in the Marine Corps. Jason, thank you so much for joining me today and being willing to share your story. And so the first question I always have is, why did you decide to join the Marine Corps? So for me, it was all about trying to better myself, right? Everyone's always like, well, I want to travel or I want to do school. I wanted all of those things too, but it was more so I had a lot of self-doubt. I had people doubting me and originally it wasn't going to be the Marine Corps. It was going to be the National Guard. But I had asthma, and then they were like, oh, you have to do this test. Did the test, never got in contact with the recruiter again. And it was just like a roller coaster person. And this started in like the 10th grade, right? Um, Marine Corps was at my school. They came, the recruiters, they were like, hey, like, what do you think? And then from there, it was like, okay, this is exactly what I want to do with my life. And in senior year, like, I did this whole, my whole project for graduating, like my capstone was on the Marine Corps. And it was like, I did like a simulation of like a PT session. It was so great. And I was all for it until I went to college and I couldn't go to the PT sessions that much as much because my college was an hour and a half away from my RS. Plus I didn't have the motivation anymore. Fast forward a few years later, 2018, something in me was like, I still want to be a Marine. I still want to do that. And talked to a recruiter, started going to PT sessions like every day and just trying to better myself. Um, And here I am now, (laughs) five years later. (laughs) And second duty station, right? So your first third duty station. station. Okay. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about that because five years and three duty stations, that's a lot of different places. (laughs) Yeah, so... I got stationed in Okinawa first, which was my first duty station choice. Um, When I got my orders, I actually was like overwhelmed. It was like a bittersweet moment because I didn't want to be away from my parents. Um, I was 19, right? And my mom and my dad are elderly. So I was like, I don't want to be overseas and not be able to come home. So like the um, commander, I want to say, at... Um, my MOS school she was like do you want to switch your orders and I was like thinking about it and then eventually I just kind of was like no it's okay this is gonna probably be a good experience for me got stationed in Okinawa my first um 
chain of command, great leadership. I had people who cared, who wanted what was best for me. I had sergeants who, you know, despite the ups and downs that I had as a junior Marine, they didn't give up on me, nor did they allow it for me to give up on myself. Um, I had a great time in Okinawa. I partied a lot, of course. <laughs> what else are you gonna do as a PFC and Lance Corporal in Okinawa? Um, and this is when restrictions were kind of there, but they weren't as tough as people were saying they were gonna be. Everyone was like, oh, there's all these restrictions. There's this card that you have to get, all this stuff. But a lot of it was changing when I got stationed there, which was really cool to be a part of that. But overall, great leadership. I did have some downfalls though. Um, through people that I met who I thought were gonna be trustworthy. One particular person actually, which was a person who sexually assaulted me, but not only did he sexu sexually assault me, it was his fault that I broke my foot in Okinawa. I didn't break my foot trying to like PTing or stuff like people here. I was trying to break up a fight between this person and someone else and ended up breaking my foot. And it was just, it was so, devastating that that it happened more so because the night before it happened I was expressing to him my past with sexual assault and it was like for him to turn around and do it in the exact version that I expressed it to him and openly confided in him to tell him really hurt me so much and it's I'm it's sorry. Of, no, it's just one of those things too. Again, you're like you said, you're away from your family. You're away from everybody. This is supposed to be the safe space. I mm -hmm. mean, you are supposed to be safe with the Marines around you. And mm -hmm. then for you not to be in, especially then sharing something so vulnerable of, you know, this experience happened to me before and you're a junior Marine. And mm -hmm. so how, how was that and dealing with that? And how did you deal with that? So I, um, I started drinking more than I was before, I, I want to say, and um, I kind of shut myself out from people for a little bit. Um, I never reported it, mainly because like in my mind, it was like, well, you should have never had a male in your room to begin with. And that's where my, my head was at the whole time. It wasn't like, no, it's not your fault. No, you know, yes, that was wrong what you did. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that you deserve to go through that. Like my head wasn't in any of that. It was all like, well, you shouldn't have never did this. And it was more so like, what is, what is my chain of command going to think? What is, you know, what is anyone going to think when I tell them what happened? And the fear of that is what kind of made me just stay to myself. And like my chain of command could see that like I wasn't okay. And they would ask me and I'd just be like, no, I'm fine. I'm just homesick or whatever. And it was hard not to disclose that. Like I told like my close friends and whatnot, but I guess out of respect for me, you know, they didn't do the whole mandatory report thing because they were my friends. They did, um, you know, like I know that this person would try and like talk to me or like through my friends or whatever. And they were like, no, like what you did was messed up basically. And you know, she doesn't want anything to do with you type deal. Like it, was just so terrible and so sad. And I felt really bad more so too, because like, you know, it happened in my room with my roommate on the other side of the room. 
And it just made me also think about like, you know, could he have done this to her? Or what if she wasn't, what if she was up, you know, and she wasn't, she was asleep. She didn't know this happened until the following day when I told her. And it was just, like I said, it was his fault. I broke my foot and my foot was broken at this time when it happened. And it was just like, it's, it wasn't just about the vulnerability disclosing what had happened, but also like, you're the reason I'm in this predicament with a broken foot hurting. And I try to be there for you and be your friend and show you I care about you. And you just hurt me, not just physically, but emotionally. And that was very, very tough because I looked at him as like a best friend, almost like a brother, you know? Um, we both grew up in New York City. So that's where like our connection came in. It was like, we clicked off rip and it was so great. I would vent to him about an ex of mine and be like, hey, y'all on the same football team, talk to him for me, please. And he would. And it was like, I was, I did not see any of it coming in. Nine times out of 10, you don't see it coming, you know, especially from the people that you would least expect it from. You're just like, no, you know, wait. And I think that part was the hardest too, was the fact that it came from some, it happened by someone who I didn't expect it to happen by. And that you also lost a friendship and an ally and somebody that you thought like it's the, the amount of levels that was in it for you. And that you're then you're having this physical ramification too, that could affect your career. It could, I mean, that could affect everything in the Marine Corps. And I just have to say this as, as a person and as a UVA is that like, it was not your fault. It doesn't matter if you were drunk. It doesn't matter if you allowed somebody in your room. Those things don't matter. It wasn't your fault that that individual took those actions. That is completely on them. And I know that like when we talked and we were doing the pre-interview that this was very much a catalyst, although you kept it in and, you know, you didn't, you didn't, you know, seek any sort of like um, help or like not help, but like any ramifications from it. But it was a driving force for you to make sure that like, as you picked up rank and as you got more responsible in the Marine Corps, that you didn't allow Marines to go through what you went through. And can you tell me a little bit about that, that healing journey, because you had to have healed yourself a little bit to be able to even like start taking that approach, right. And, and functioning again. And how was that journey for you? And kind of where were you at in the Marine Corps at the same time? Because at, at that time, are you getting close to leaving Okinawa? Are you getting ready to like move to the next place? So at this point, um, I, this occurred in early 2020. And I was what about a year and a half into Okinawa. I was on three-year orders at this point. And just like I said, I was a junior Marine at the time. I was a Lance Corporal, close to getting promoted a corporal actually. Um, and it was very difficult to go through that healing journey, especially not talking about it as much as I wanted to. Um, I did get some relief talking about it to like my closest friends and closest peers and just letting them know like, hey, like, I'm not saying he's gonna do it to you, but just be careful around him. Like I wouldn't trust being around him, you know, alone or whatever the case may be. So just making sure that if I knew that they had some sort of friendship with him, that I let them know, like, hey, you know, just be careful, be alert, that kind of stuff. Um, and then when I got promoted to corporal, 
I had this one junior Marine who we, she would always be in another male's room and that would scare me because I didn't want her to go through the same thing that I was going through, you know? So like, dude would be like, Hey, your Marine is in X, X Marines room. And I'd be like, I'd go to that Marines room, see if she's there. I'd pull her outside and I'd have a conversation with her. And I told her, I can't tell you what to do. You're a grown woman. However, as your corporal, I'm letting you know, one, you are wrong, but I'm not going to judge you or be a hypocrite about it. You know, just be smart, be aware, just be careful of what you're doing. I don't want you to get hurt in any type of way that's physically, emotionally, whatever the case may be, just having those conversations. And it, it was, it was tough to have that conversation with someone, um, you know, because I've been in her shoes before. So it was more like, well, I kind of sound like a hypocrite, but I'm in a leadership position now. So it doesn't matter what I sound like people change. And at the end of the day, you have to do what's right um, by you and your Marines, you know? So that, that kind of also was tough for me being able, having to be able, having to have those conversations with my Marines um, as I started ranking up. And almost reliving the trauma too, with every conversation in a way of like, oh, this is so familiar to me or this, you know, this, this and that, but Mm -hmm. the, I think the trust and the ability of like those Marines to know that like, wow, like my NCO is coming to check on me. Like that means then if something were to happen, I could go to them. Right. Like, like it's, it's, there's not that fear of, because I think sometimes in leadership, that's what people really struggle with is, okay, I need to be this way. And I need to make sure they knew, know that like these things could lead to this, but not putting the fear of God in somebody or not making somebody so fearful that then they don't come to you if something happens, right? Because you don't, you don't want that either. And so how, how did that like relationship end up being? And how did that kind of like drive your leadership across the board and in, in your time in the Marine Corps? So it made me become what my Marines <laughs> called me, a mama bear, right? You Once you have like these motherly instincts, it's like you want to take care of your babies. And like, I had this one peer of mine who didn't like my leadership style. She was like, you're too soft, you're this, you're that. And I was like, well, we kind of work each other. We kind of balance each other out, right? She was more stern and more like, no, I'm going to hold you accountable. And I'm more of a, I'm going to hold you accountable, but I'm going to hear you out too. And I'm going to let you know, it is okay to have feelings. It is okay to be vulnerable. It doesn't matter what the Marine Corps says. At the end of the day, we're all human first. We all bleed the same blood. We all wear the same cloth. You know, we're going to hang up the uniform one day. So it's okay for you to talk to me. It is okay for you to be sensitive. And she didn't like that, but I didn't let that stop me. I wanted to make sure my Marines knew I cared. Not because the Marine Marine Corps told you you have to care, but because I genuinely cared. Because I know what it's like to struggle. I know what it's like to not be okay. Um, And I took that with me, right? So a few months after this happened, I actually got orders to PCA. I PCA'd to Camp Kinzer, so I was still in Oki. and I was the only female in my shop at the time. And it was nice in the sense of not having that drama with another female, but also it was kind of tough because I felt like I had to prove myself, not PT wise, because I had found out I was pregnant when I PCA, 
but more so leadership wise, because in, in my mind, I was like, okay, well, I can't PT. So I got to outperform them in everything else that I could because I'm the only female and I have to show them that, you know, just because I can't PT doesn't make me any less of a Marine than they are, you know? Um, and still had the mother, motherly instance, mama bear instance, one, I, because I was actually pregnant. <laughs> <but> still, <laughs> but still, because it was new for all of us. And the difference between me and the other Marines was that the staff NCO that I had at the time was my staff NCO when I was a dream Marine too. So he, he watched me grow from a, from a PFC to a corporal. So it was nice to have someone on my team that I already knew and not be so scared as much. And he was great, a family man, just a sweetheart, just awesome. I can talk to him about anything. Um, and we, we have similar stories, you know, with not having our biological mothers in our lives and stuff. And it was, it was great to have someone that I can talk to and relate to that wasn't someone in my peer group, more so for experience purposes and just hearing someone else's experience who's been in the Marine Corps longer and can handle the things that I was scared about handling, like being away from home or, you know, starting over at a new, at a new unit, you know, and fast forward to, a few months later, I decided I wanted to come back to the US so I'm closer to family, which put me at my second duty station, which was in Albany, Georgia. And I was going through the pregnancy alone, no family, no friends, friends, but not the kind of friends that I needed or wanted because, you know, everyone that I was friends with were living their best lives. I'll put it that way. <laughs> and here I am pregnant as hell living in the barracks, just going through that struggle and feeling, not just being alone physically without uh, my son's dad being involved, but also not having family. Um, so that almost took a toll on me. Anyways, at the time that I PCS from Oki back to the US, I was six months pregnant. And the leadership or the senior enlisted advisor I had at the time, he kept saying, well, she can live in the barracks until full term. And it's crazy because yes, the Marine Corps order does say that, but what is full term? Full term is different for everybody. Not everybody go, has their baby at the 40 weeks. Some people have them earlier. And that's where my concern kind of lied. And everyone was like, well, you don't have a car and you don't have a license and you're a single mom. And this is a third, right? All this all the good, all the stuff that, yes, was reasonable and was in my best interest per se, but we could have worked around all of that, right? Um, the car situation, Marines in my shop had cars. I had this one sergeant who, you know, offered to drive me to work um, if I had a place out in town and, you know, it wouldn't be an issue. Fast forward to a few months more later, I had my baby, still living in the barracks, didn't have housing, didn't have anything. Didn't even have the basic stuff that I needed for a baby because I did not foresee me having my son as early as I did. All the signs were there. Like I kept having ER visits. You know, I was under a lot of stress from work, not having family, the whole nine, right? But I feel like 
it just wasn't acknowledged as much as it should have been. And I was really, really, really upset by it because it was just kind of like, how do we drop the ball on this stuff? And it wasn't until after I had my baby that I was on duty and I read the um, policy that they have for the barracks that states that at 20 weeks, you're supposed to vacate the barracks. And it upset me and it enraged me because it's kind of like someone along the line knew about this and didn't say a goddamn thing to me. And granted, like maybe I do play a role too in not learning, but I didn't have duty because I was pregnant. No one ever put me on duty. So it wasn't like, in my mind, it was like home, rest, baby, that's it. It wasn't anything else. And it's just kind of like, how do y'all keep saying, well, the order says this, but then y'all's barracks order says this. And I just, it, it was really, really upsetting. Um, like, especially, like I said, when I, when I got out the hospital, I was really frustrated. My son was in the NICU for three weeks. So in that time frame, like I wanted to request masks. Like I was like, ain't no way this happened. Like someone needs to be held accountable for what just happened. Like this shouldn't have never even happened in the first place because luckily I made it into the hospital in time, but let's say I didn't. Now I would have had a baby in the barracks. Then what would have happened? You know, and it's, it was things like that, that played in my mind. It's just like, I'm a new mom, a single mom at that. I don't have nothing. I don't have a roof to put over my baby's head because I can't live in the barracks with a baby. So what am I supposed to do? So that was very frustrating. And instead of requesting masks, I decided to put like a resource binder together instead. And in the resource binder, um, it basically just talks about like all the um, things that the new passport program may talk about, but not disclose too much about. So like WIC, Medicaid, the different apps that you can use down to like credit karma to make sure that your credit score is good. Like all these things that um, I did my research on while I was pregnant to make sure that I better take care of myself and have more opportunities down the road, especially with, you know, formula being expensive and stuff like that. I wanted to make sure that they knew like, Hey, just cause we're in the Marine Corps doesn't mean that we can't get with. Yeah. And, just and most it- people qualify for it too. That's the crazy thing. Most Marines qualify for it and especially single female Marines. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to, you know, because in my mind, after it already happened, I was just like, you know what? I don't want to waste my time trying to request masks because what can I do now? Like it's already said and done. Um, so instead of doing that, let me just figure out a way to help both Marines and leadership moving forward so that it doesn't happen again. Um, you know, and Marines don't know, some Marines don't know, even the smallest things like where are you supposed to get your maternity uniforms from? You're supposed to go to supply first to get them through them, to get them the forms. Um, people don't know, you know, yes, we have childcare, but you can still get Medicaid too if you qualify. Like all these things, I just wanted to make sure that one, they were addressed, two, leadership was aware so that they know how to avoid situations like mine. Mine, my, my situation was a unique, a unique situation because you know most people who are pregnant and poor, not all, but most people, they have a significant other or they're married or whatever the case may be. That wasn't the case with me. And it wasn't just, oh, she's a single mom. I didn't have nothing. I didn't have a license. I didn't have family nearby. 
So my my situation, like I said, I feel like was unique and they just didn't know how to handle it. But it's not an excuse for them to say that they don't know how to handle it, right? Because there's a Marine Corps order for everything. And yes, as you said, should you have double checked the order yourself too? Yeah, like you're not saying that you shouldn't have, but at the same time, there are things that like, there is a trend in the Marine Corps and, and, you know, I got out in 2018 and I'm not saying this is across the board everywhere, but there is a trend where like male Marines couldn't even tell you what the hair standards are for females. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and especially not like, I mean, I, I had very great leaders who even came up to me asking about other females. Like, is she in regs? Well, sir, you know, the same order as I do. Why am I the one telling you if somebody's in regs type thing? Like mm-hmm. there is an obligation as leaders in the Marine Corps to know these type of things, because there's nowhere in the Marine Corps that women can't serve now, right? So there is not a single excuse for any leader in the Marine Corps to not know where to find the pregnancy order and where to find all of those informations. And if they have somebody who becomes pregnant, then they need to to do a little handholding and provide that and make sure that they know that. And that's you creating that binder and creating those resources is so important because you are helping Marines. One, you're helping them and showing them that somebody does know when somebody went through this, but also that like you can, you can take the initiative as well. And you, you're not relying on me. I'm literally showing you like, this is the actual like resource. And it's, it's very wild to me that you lived in the barracks again, up until you delivered, because I, I was in a similar situation in regards to, I was a junior Marine. I was single. I was not married to the father when I was pregnant, but I had a female Sergeant who had gone through pregnancies. And in, right when I told her, it was just like under the wing, like I'm handling all these things. Here's, you know, here's the order. Here's the X, Y, Z. Like you said, here's where you get the uniforms. Here is, there are all these things that again, uh, uh, leaders who are listening to this male or female figure out where that order is and make sure, you know, like point that I don't, there's no simpler way <laughs> to right. say, to say it. <laughs> I think for me too, it was like, um, cause I knew the pregnancy order, right. I knew exactly what he was saying. I, I made sure to read up on the order as soon as I got pregnant, but the bait, the barracks order was, like I said, it said otherwise. And that's where, like I said, I didn't know about it until I did. And it was like, okay, now that I know, with my resource binder, I'm gonna put that in there because you know, like I said, someone along the line along the line knew whether it was my direct chain of command or not. The barracks manager had to know. Like I'm just like, everyone was questioning, why is she still in the barracks? She's so big, she's gonna have that baby soon. Like I kept hearing those questions and those comments, but no one was doing anything about it. And it might, and for me, it was like, okay, well this is what the senior enlisted advisor is saying. So I'm not going to step on his toes. He must know what he's doing. Um, But I am, I am not. One thing I was telling my former staff sergeant is that I have gone through things that suck and it hurts sometimes, but it also allowed me to become as resilient as I feel that I am and has allowed me to be a mentor and be able to teach other people and hopefully prevent them from going through similar situations that I went through. And I think that is 
like so important and I think that the the people I think of in the Marine Corps who like I identify as like for me like literally like the best leaders were those who not were perfect but who when they went through things they were willing to be vulnerable and like lead and teach through through that and then especially again what's what still blows my mind is the fact that like so you're from New York you're from New York right you didn't need a license there you went to Oki you can't you don't need a license there so one of the first things as a leader for me would have been and for you know a normal like Marine Corps progression because you're as a Marine probably going to need to drive something at some point then would be okay what do we need to do to get this Marine to to get their license like it's not a new thing right people in the Marine Corps come from all different like places and backgrounds and it's wild to me that you know they didn't assist with those type of things and I think that that's something that as a leader and as you're showing too, that's, it's so important. It's, if we're going to talk about the whole Marine concept, then we have to talk about the whole Marine concept as we lead as well. And that means not just leaving Marines in these type of situations. And so you're, you're now in your sergeant, staff sergeant, I forget. I'm a sergeant now. Sar- yeah. You're, you're a sergeant now. So you have a ton of Marines under you, 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 <laughs> you know, you've gone through these things. And as you said, you feel like it's, it's made you resilient. What, what else do you feel like is, you know, you recently reenlisted with all of these things you've gone through and these challenges, why did you want to reenlist and why did you want to continue serving in the Marine Corps? So for me, right. And, um, first factor, my baby, like I said, I'm a single mom on paper. So it was like, I wanted what was best for my baby. That, comes with stability, you know, the pay. I still wanted to further my education without having to use FAFSA, things like that. But the other thing was, I just felt like it wasn't my time yet. You know, I never deployed, um, at least in my first enlistment, I never deployed, never did no type of exercise, not even jungle warfare training, nothing. So for me, it was like, no, I have so much more off in Marine Corps. And I think the Marine Corps has more to offer me as well, but it's it's not about it's not about awards, it's not about the pay um, in in itself, but more so, it's about helping the generation that's to come. You know, everyone says that the good Marines always get out, and I see that, and I didn't know what that meant until it was time for me to realize. It was like I felt like. Overall, I'm a, I'm a good person, not just a good Marine, but just a good person. And I felt like the Marine Corps can use me and I'm gonna let them use me in the right ways so that I can continue guiding, continue teaching and mentoring. Um, I don't want Marines to base their, their decision on re-enlistment um, on their first chain of man or their first duty station. And that was it for me. It was like, yeah, I went through shit, but we all do. You know, it doesn't make me any better or any less or whatever the case may be. As long as I can continue to be a strong person and be a good person who cares, I want to offer that because it's rare. It's rare to have, in my opinion, it's rare to have Marines who care because they actually care. There are a few, but that number is pretty low. (laughs) And what's something, what's something what's like a piece of advice that you would like to give? I I say specifically for like female Marines who are going through anything even sort of like that, who maybe don't have support, don't have a chain of command. 
what advice would you give them? I guess the advice that I would give them is don't give up. Like I could have gave up a long time ago from the very first bad thing that happened to me, but I use that as ammunition. I use that as fuel to one, move smarter, but also to um, teach. Like I said, you know, it's a, Marine Corps for me has been both a, a teaching and learning experience. And I wanted, I want to voice to just Marines across the board that it's okay to go through the struggle. It's okay to face adversity. We all do, but it's not about the adversity that you face. It's about how you choose to overcome it and how you choose to teach other people and, you know, show them that you're, you not, in the sense of, oh, I did it so you can do it, but more so it's okay. Life sucks sometimes, but what matters is, is, um, what you do with that suck and how you embrace it. I have absolutely loved talking to you and this episode, (laughs) um, so much. Uh, and so I'm going to ask the the final question, which again, I know we mentioned earlier, you recently re-enlisted again, but if you had to take the oath again, would you? Oh Yeah. I definitely would. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing a piece of your story. And I think that there are so many Marines and and non-Marines who are going to get so much from, from what you are willing to share. And I just appreciate it so much. This is the Oath We Took podcast. And you just heard a piece of Jason's story. You now know one more Marine and one more piece of the Marine Corps history. Her sacrifices matter. Her stories matter. Not every Marine story is the same. We didn't all join the Marine Corps for the same reason. What is the same is the oath that we all took. An oath that easily could have ended in death, and for some, it did. So listeners, instead of asking you to thank a Marine for their service, I am going to challenge you to continue to listen to their stories instead. 